Uh, if you have a Bible, why don't you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's going to be our main text. That was from our scripture reading this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're glad that you're here. We want to welcome, I guess this is the Deer Run staff right here, and not just the youth group. So welcome to the Deer Run staff. For join, thanks for joining us this morning. Can we, I don't know, welcome them, give them a hand or something. I'm not sure if we've already welcomed them, but... Thanks for serving this summer. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give this warning uh, in case you don't already know this. Last Sunday I was up here and I told you I was a little sick, had a fever, thought I was getting better, started that all over again Wednesday night, went to the doctor and just, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there so you know to steer away from me after this is over, but I, I have mono right now, okay, and I'm not saying that to, uh, to get you to feel sorry for me, but if that works, then great, but... I don't want to spread my germs, so I'm trying to give elbow taps this morning, and uh, I believe, again, it's by the grace of God that I'm able to stand up here. I've been pretty sick the last few days, but I'm feeling great this morning. Uh, So just stay away from me, and I'm going to be a little reclusive over the next few days so I don't spread my germs. So I'm just giving you a heads up on that. Uh, At the beginning of July, I started a sermon series that I titled Beyond Yourself, and this deals with the big idea in Scripture that all the Bible characters we read about from the Old Testament and the New Testament, they live beyond themselves because they were part of a a bigger picture, pointing people to Christ. And that's the same thing uh, in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is going to be our main text this morning. Um, And I had a, I'm not sure if the PowerPoint's working or not, but I had a little video that I was going to show you of when my son Christian, he's one and a half right now, but last year around this time, we started introducing solid food into his diet. And you should have seen his reaction. I wish I could show you the video, but I think my video corrupted the rest of the slideshow this morning. So you're not going to get to see that. But the first time food ever touched his lips, you should have seen his reaction. I mean, he hated food. He wanted milk. He wanted to just stay with the milk. So we had to slowly transition him to solid food. Uh, There is a phobia called Jurassicophobia. Have you ever heard of that? Jurassicophobia. It's not a word I use very often in my everyday language, but it's a phobia. It's a fear of growing old or a fear of growing up. So it kind of sounds like, there it is right there. It sounds like a Peter Pan syndrome or something like that. Like you're afraid to grow up, but apparently it's a real phobia. Uh, I read a story about a, a child who was actually afraid of growing up. So this child researched foods that have nutrients that his body needs to grow, and he refused to eat those foods. And his family had to actually take him to the doctor and get him some support and help so that he would start eating so that he could grow. But he was afraid of growing up, afraid of these solid foods that would give him nutrients that would cause his body to grow. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this church in Corinth, they are experiencing some stagnation in your growth. If you have a bulletin insert, I'll try to remember to make sure I I give you the fill in the blanks. I think I missed a few last week, but this church in Corinth, they're experiencing stagnation in their spiritual journey. Look at verses 1 and 2 and how Paul addresses them. And so, brothers and sisters, I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Nobody likes to be called a baby. If you've ever been called a baby, it's probably because you're pouting or acting selfish. And here Paul is saying, you guys and women, 
as a church, you're acting like babies. You're acting like infants in Christ, not as spiritual people. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now, you're still not ready, for you're still of the flesh, or you're still worldly. So he's using a nursing metaphor, and he's saying, in Christ, you start off as this babe in Christ, but you're supposed to grow. And Paul said, I started with milk, but eventually you need solid food to grow, but you just want to stay on that milk. You're still spiritually immature. So why, what makes them spiritually immature? Why is Paul calling them babes or infants in Christ? And why are they resisting this solid food? Is it because Paul attended one of their worship services and their prayers weren't wordy enough? Were their hearts not in it when they were worshiping? Did he attend their Bible classes and they have a lack of biblical knowledge? You know, what makes them spiritually immature? Now, those are decent indicators. But according to Paul, what makes them spiritually immature is this. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human beings? So what makes them spiritually immature is that there's jealousy and quarreling among them over their personal preferences. They're fighting with each other and there's jealousy involved over who they choose. Some are saying, I'm with team Paul. Some are saying, I'm with team Apollos. Paul was this apostle, you know that wrote a lot of the letters in the New Testament. Paul was this church planner. But apparently Apollos, who worked with Paul, was a better speaker. He was a better public speaker. And so people in this church in Corinth were fighting with each other and causing all sorts of problems based on whose side they're on and what their personal preference was. And Paul's saying, the fact that you're still fighting over those things... That's what makes you an infant in Christ. That's what makes you spiritually immature. So he addresses this issue of of their fighting between Paul and Apollos. And he says in verse 5, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each. Paul and Apollos are just servants doing their assigned tasks. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul was a church planter. Apollos comes along and he helps this church grow. He waters the church, but it's God who gives the growth. Verse 7, so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So why are they comparing statistics between Paul and Apollos if it's God ultimately who gives the growth? You'll see this in your bulletin insert, but this means that one man cannot take all the credit. We want to do that sometimes. If a church grows or a ministry is really working well, we want to give one human being the credit. But if God is the source of the growth, then not one person can take all the credit. And this means that one person cannot do all the necessary work either. This is a team effort. Paul needs Apollos, Apollos needs Paul, and they all need each other. God has gifted us with our own spiritual gifts. And not one person is more important than the other. We all work together, and ultimately it's God who gives the growth. Now I want to focus on this word growth for just a few moments. 
and what it means for God to give the growth, and what I think Paul is saying when he uses this word. When you think of growth in a church setting, what comes to mind? You probably think church growth as in attendance. Because often that's how we measure whether or not something is growing or shrinking or staying the same, is we base it on church attendance. And although that's a good indicator, when I look at the life and the teachings of Jesus, I'm reminded of these little kingdom parables that he would tell. Like, for instance, in Matthew 13 or Luke chapter 13, he tells this parable of the mustard seed. And Jesus asked the question, what is the kingdom of God like? So it's like a mustard seed that someone plants. And although it's a small little seed, it grows up to be this huge tree and the birds come and nest in its branches. When Jesus talks about things growing and the kingdom of God growing, I think he has the same idea that God ultimately provides the growth. But when we grow as human beings, we're not just growing in numbers and attendance, but we're growing in a direction. That direction is towards the heart of God. Closer to the heart of God, to the passion of God. And when Jesus grows, he's growing deeper. Whether he has 12 men with him or large crowds, he's calling people to grow closer to the heart of God, to grow deeper. When I was in high school, in ninth grade, uh, I had this English class with a friend of mine named Kevin, or maybe more of an acquaintance, he was a fellow student. And Kevin, uh, although we were, we were young, freshmen, had a little stubble for facial hair, that was about it. Kevin had these really cool sideburns, kind of looked like this. Uh, so when we had a break in the action in class, we would go talk to Kevin about his cool sideburns. They went down below his earlobes, so that was really special at that time. So we wanted to know, how do you grow sideburns like that? Like, how do you grow facial hair? And he would never tell us. And then finally one day, I think we bugged him enough where he said, okay, you want to know the secret to growing really cool sideburns like mine? And we were like all ears. You know, we were like, yes, tell us, please. And he said, shave. I said, shave? That sounds counterintuitive. Like, why would I shave? I'm trying to grow them, not take them away. And he said, no, you got to shave. He said, go home and shave. And I'm not talking about with your dad's beard trimmer. He said, go shave with a straight razor. And he said, when you do that, you're digging down into the roots, and the more often you shave with a straight razor, the more likely your hair, your facial hair, is to grow back thicker and hairier. So I left school that day, I went to Brookshire's in Greenville, and I bought a razor, and I started shaving my face, and then eventually I was able to grow a beard. Now, for a long time, I gave Kevin credit for that, but then later I realized he had been held back a year, so he was already 16, I was only 14, that probably had more to do with it than anything, but I liked his idea of getting to the roots. Okay, I, I like that, okay, let's get to the deepest level. If you want something to grow, start not with the surface level things that people see, but start down at the deepest level at the roots. Um, Monty Cox is a professor at Harding University. Um, I was a part of a retreat he did a few years ago called the Intentional Family Seminar. He and his wife Beth did this seminar. And he used this example of a Chinese bamboo tree. So I went and researched it myself. But apparently, you can plant the seed for a Chinese bamboo tree. And for about four years, to the the eye, the human eye, to what's visible, 
you see nothing. There's no growth that takes place. Nothing comes up out of the ground. You can water it, let the sun shine on it, nurture the ground, do whatever you want to do to try to help it grow, but it's not going to grow. But on the fifth year, it has the ability to grow 80 to 90 feet high. So what happens during those first four years? Is it just lying dormant under the ground, just waiting for that fifth year? It's not that nothing's happening. We just can't see what's happening, but what's happening is the most important part. It's growing that root system so that when it does shoot up high, the root system down below the surface is able to hold it up. The roots are the most important part. So even though we can't see that, the root system is preparing for the growth that's going to take place. In your little bulletin insert, it says sustainable growth begins at the roots. If we want to grow, when Paul talks about God providing the growth, whether that's church attendance or us growing closer to the heart of God, whatever Paul means by growing, we know that if we want to grow, we have to begin at the roots, to begin at the foundation. A practical example of this is a, an author named Dallas Willard. Maybe you've heard of him, the late Dallas Willard. He wrote a lot of books on spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation. And he wrote this book called Renovation of the Heart. And towards the end of the book, if you want to read this book, you can't do it overnight. It's a pretty thick and heavy book with a lot of deep thoughts. Towards the end of the book, he, he writes a chapter on the church and its ability to grow. And he talks about how all churches seemingly want to fulfill the Great Commission. When Jesus in Matthew 28 says, go out and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. You know, that's the commission that Jesus gives us. But he said, here's where you should start. Start with the people who are right there in front of you. Deepen their Christ-likeness, their commitment to Christ, and then the mission will happen organically. So his point is that all across America... We have pews that are filled up with people who come to church, but six days a week, they're not committed to Christ and His life and His teachings. So if we started right here where we're at, dig dig those roots deep, then the mission will take care of itself organically. You know, maybe there's some truth to that. But Paul says, it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollo, so stop fighting over those things because it's God who gives the growth. We're just servants doing our assigned task. So look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together, you are God's field, God's building. So he's been using this kind of a crop farmer type example of watering and planting and growing, and now he's going to transition to an architectural type of metaphor, a building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it. So he, he calls himself, he says, I'm like a skilled master builder. Uh, archaeologists have discovered that there's this man named Vertruvius who actually 
wrote out blueprints for how buildings should be constructed in that time period in which Paul was writing. So there's a good chance that Paul is using the example of Vitruvius, who went around setting up these buildings so that you can make a carbon copy of a building that will last. And Paul's saying, I'm kind of like that, a skilled master builder, laying on this foundation, and then someone else is coming and building on the foundation. So Paul starts the project, Apollos continues the project, and then somebody will come after Apollos and they'll just continue the project. In the United States, we're not used to long projects. The biggest construction I can think of in the last several years is in Arlington, Texas, where the Dallas Cowboys play. We call it Jerry World. That's a huge project, and it took, what, like four years to build? That's not a long time. So when we think about something like that, we're just thinking like, oh, it doesn't take long. But for many centuries before us, to to build something like that, you've got to be willing to commit to the long haul. All over Europe, there's these huge, elaborate cathedrals. For example, the picture of this cathedral, the construction started in the year 1070, and they didn't complete it to the year 1300. So I can help you with the math, that's 230 years. So that means that when they originally started this project, somebody had to have a vision in mind. This is what I want it to look look like. This is what we want a completed project to look like. And they started it, and they hired workers, and people started building on it. But the original workers who were building on it knew that they would never see the final product. They would never see it completed. They were working on something that they knew someone else would come after them and they would work on it. And that's how it works in the kingdom of God. This is in your insert also. We contribute our part, but we will never see the final product in our lifetime. It's like we're, we're building on the work that someone else started. We contribute our part during our lives while we're here, and then someday someone else will come and continue to build on it. When I was thinking about the Pine Tree Church of Christ, you know, I've been here for less than two months now. So I'm coming in, and this church has been around for a long time. And I'm sure there's a lot of great Christ-like people who have been a part of this church, who have taught classes, who have gone on mission trips, who have worked right here in Longview for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I'm coming in, and I'm building on their work. I'm contributing to what someone else started a long time ago, and chances are someday I'm going to be gone, and somebody else is going to come along and build on the work that I contributed to. We're part of a much larger project than just our own short earthly lives. It's the same thing with Camp Dira. You guys are working hard this summer. You're contributing your part. You're doing a great job from what I've heard. But you didn't start it. A long time ago, somebody came along and started, had a vision in mind, and a lot of people have contributed to it over the years, and this is your opportunity to contribute to it, and someday someone else will come and build on your work. So that's that next insert there. And when Paul says, I laid the foundation, and someone else is coming and building on it, that's kind of how it works. We're a part of something that's much bigger than ourselves. And when we build on the foundation that is Jesus Christ, we have the ability to live beyond ourselves. Look at verse chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid, and that foundation is on Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul is telling them in the church in Corinth. The foundation's not on Apollos. The foundation's not on Paul. The foundation is on Christ. And when you build on that foundation, you're a part of something much bigger than yourself. A lot of churches all over the United States and even the rest of the world will try to build a church, build the foundation on some famous preacher or speaker or some famous person that goes to their church. And maybe that works for a time, but if that's the foundation you build on, when that preacher or that famous person is gone, then so is your foundation. Or sometimes we build a foundation on a certain method or a certain church tradition, and maybe it lasts for a while, but that's not going to last forever. So Paul says the foundation that you build on is the foundation of Christ. And when you build on that foundation, it's going to last well beyond your own earthly life. As families, we build on a foundation for our children. And too often, the foundation that we build on are things that are not eternal. We build on extracurricular activities, on sports, on, on all sorts of things that aren't going to last. But the kingdom of God, if the foundation is built on Christ, that's built to last. Sustainable growth relies on the right foundation. That's the next little bullet point in your insert. Sustainable growth begins at the roots, and sustainable growth relies on the right foundation. Paul says to build the foundation on Christ, and God gives the growth. I'm going to use an example of two different missionaries. One was a missionary to Mali in Africa. Quit his job, moved to Mali, moved to Africa to become a missionary. He learned the language. If you've ever been in a foreign country and you've gone to language school and immersed yourself in the culture, you know how difficult that can be. He stayed the course. He learned the language. Overall, his purpose, his goal was to plant churches and teach people about Christ. He stayed there for five years, and after five years, not one church had been planted, and not one person had been converted. He ran out of his funding, and he had to come home. He had to cut his losses and just come home. Learn the language, learn the culture, and had nothing to show for it when he came home. So he felt like a failure. And one day, he was in the big city, he took a cab, and his cab driver happened to be from Mali. So he thought, well, I know this language, so I might as well use it. So he started speaking to the cab driver in his native language. They had a very interesting conversation, sparked up a friendship, which sparked a pretty good relationship, and that cab driver eventually decided to become a Christian, was baptized into Christ, and then he made the decision he wanted to go back home to his own people to become a missionary. So maybe God had been preparing this original missionary all along to have that conversation and that cab ride that day. He was building on the right foundation, but he saw no growth. But if you trust in the one who provides the growth, God is working. And as long as we're building on the right foundation, God will provide the growth when he sees fit. Another missionary example is a man named Dr. William Leslie, who in 1912 made a decision to move out into the jungles of the Congo. And there, his plan was the same. Plant churches, spread the gospel. He was there for 17 years by himself. Again, he learned the language, 
He spoke French. He had copies of the Bible in French. So he taught the kids the French language using the Bible. But after about 17 years, his health was starting to fail him, and he had to come back home. And like the other missionary I told you, he felt like a failure. There was no churches that had been planted. To his knowledge, no one had been converted. And he died a few years later, and he said, I am a failure. I'm a failed missionary. Well, almost 100 years later, in 2010, a group of missiologists were traveling around Africa trying to discover where they can send missionaries to unreached people groups. So they take this boat ride into these remote places in the Congo, thinking that for sure these people with their tribal religions have never heard the gospel. And to their surprise, in all eight villages they traveled to, there was a church in each village. And there was an older gentleman in each village who was kind of the leader, and they all said the same thing. When I was a little kid, a man named Dr. William Leslie taught me the Bible, taught me how to speak French, and long after he was gone, we were converted to Christ, started this church, and it all just kind of started organically. William Leslie died thinking he was a failure. Little did he know the impact that his life had. Because it's God who provides the growth. We build on the right foundation. We're servants doing our assigned task. And we trust in the one who provides the growth. And Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God provides the growth. We build on the right foundation. And when we do that, we're a part of something much bigger than ourselves. Uh, This morning, we're going to sing a few more songs You're going to have an opportunity to go speak with a shepherd in the back if you need to do that. And you're certainly welcome to do that. If you need to come up front, you can do that as well. We just want you to know this is the time to respond while we stand and sing.